Hello, everyone. Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain and digital currency innovators building our distributed future. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts premier conferences, events, and media featuring blockchain leaders actively growing the industry. With our platform, we are connecting business and technology executives with blockchain innovators leading the charge. Through our interactive speaker presentations, facilitated networking sessions, and our video and podcast series. Before we get started, wanted to tell you about our consulting arm, TF Agency, where we work with blockchain companies, companies looking to adopt the technology, entrepreneurs and investors looking to understand the space, and with those looking to grow their career in this emerging industry. For more information, please email us at info at tfagency.io. In this episode, I chat with Harish Rasinghani, COO of Block Mason, while recently in Vancouver, BC, before our TF Blockchain Vancouver chapter event, which was held on May 14, 2019. We talk about base layer blockchain technology, the ability to record credit and debt allocations on blockchain, and improving the common use case of peer-to-peer payments. We also discuss the Vancouver ecosystem and how Harish got involved with blockchain and with Block Masons. I hope you enjoy our conversation before our most recent Vancouver chapter event. So Harish, thanks so much for coming down uh, here to Vancouver. We're, we're here in Vancouver today for TF Blockchain. Um, and it's great to meet you. I'd love if you introduce yourself to everybody. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here and uh, have a chance to, to speak uh, uh, as for uh, TF Blockchain's podcast. Uh, my name is Harish. I'm the COO of BlockMason. Uh, BlockMason is um, a base layer blockchain technology company. The, the focus for us is on building tools for developers um, to make it easy for them to get their applications uh, to market as quickly as possible, incorporating blockchain. Nice, nice. Well, how long have you guys been doing that? Uh, since uh, early 2017, I became a part of uh, BlockMason um, in June of 2018. So it's actually been under a year that I've been part of this this organization. But I have been part of the, the blockchain space since uh, early 2016. Nice. Uh, what's your blockchain origin story? That's my favorite question. Asking. <laughs> uh, almost by accident, actually, actually to, to be a part of BlockMason. So um, I had sort of dabbled in the, the crypto space, uh, doing some, some trading, um, built my own trading bot. Um, but I wasn't, it was just a, a hobby. I was actually working with uh, another uh, startup at the time. And when uh, I was looking for recruit, sorry. I was say, what would the bot do? Uh, it, it was just looking for, for arbitrage opportunities. So I was basically pulling data from a bunch of different exchanges, uh, just taking a look at, uh, at differential pricing. And then it, it wasn't very complicated, but it was sort of my first introduction to foray take a little bit of code, it. first foray into it. And it, it was pretty exciting, especially since <laughs> the market was was taking off so quickly at that time. Yeah, totally. So you so you started kind of building this bot, doing your own thing, and then how did you start getting involved with BlockMason? Yeah, so I was actually looking for um, uh, developers for for my my previous company, and I was talking with a, a friend of mine who is a recruiter, and I was sort of casually inquiring what was interesting in the the space that kind of come on our table in the tech space in Vancouver. And she had mentioned this company, BlockMason, that was uh, that was growing. They were they had an office in the the city, and they were looking to to staff it with a, a bunch of different roles. And I 
expressed interest. And literally a month later, I was part of the organization. So nice. it, things happened really, really quickly. Nice. So that was about a year ago. So right now we're in this crypto boom again. You know, we're, we're, yeah. in, the, we're in the bull run. Yeah. So a year ago, uh, things were starting to come down. What, what, what's been like the biggest change? What have you seen uh, from when you started uh, at Block Mason and really, you know, from when you started doing this, the crypto arbitrage. So when you're doing the crypto arbitrage, um, we were kind of in a bull run at yeah. that time, too. Um, where where you see things at right now? Yeah, it's it's been a, an interesting journey since uh, since that point. I mean, I would say there's been, you know, definitely some some positives to come out of uh, the crypto winter and now sort of going into uh, a phase where it looks like uh, the crypto space is rallying again. Um, you know, we have seen um, uh, issues with uh, with some uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, Quadriga being a big one, having its roots here in Vancouver and having gone sideways. Um, so that's obviously been a, a tough lesson, I would say, for a lot of people um, yeah. who maybe had invested uh, with that exchange um, and to see how that that's translated. Um, so I think investors are probably a little bit more cautious uh, getting into the, the crypto space, but it is exciting to see, you know, I think just a couple of days ago, Whole Foods announcing that they'd be, um, you know, taking, accepting uh, Bitcoin um, along with a bunch of other vendors who've started to make that type of announcement. So I think there's definitely an element of maturity that's that's happening in this space here. Um, and you're starting to see, you know, these these bigger retailers um, looking at adopting elements of, of blockchain and, and crypto. Yeah, that was super interesting. I actually, I know the article you're re referencing. Um, the I can't remember who the guy is, but the guy in Forbes is basically saying how a lot of these you know, new uh, retailers are accepting pay the payment, but they don't necessarily know they are, yeah. or like they're uh, not necessarily announcing that they are per se. Um, yeah, I, I find that super interesting, and I think it'll be really. So what, what's happening, at, you know, kind of in that article that I was reading, um, and it makes sense, is that um, I think it's called Spendin, S-P-E-D-N. -S yep. Um, they're essentially, they have their own uh, stable coin, yep. right? And, um, you know, when when the, the Bitcoin is used for purchasing, um, you know, they basically use a stable coin similar to how you would an exchange when you're converting. So I think that's really interesting. Um, what I find that will be really fascinating, I think, is where we're going to be next is um, in network currencies mm -hmm. for like, like like a Whole Foods coin, yep. right? Or like, a, uh, that's where I go with all that. Anyways, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's sort of a, a logical place where, you know, these, these organizations will effectively have um, sort of their own payment network um, to, to some extent where... You know, it's just an extension of like your your loyalty points to to some degree, just done in maybe more of a, a token format. Totally, totally, it makes sense. It's an easy representation for that. Yep. So, um, what specifically is Block Mason focusing on in in the blockchain space? I know you kind of touched a little bit about what Blockchain Mason does. Yeah. Um, wh where where's where's the opportunity for Block Mason? Yeah. So, um, with the focus on base layer blockchain tech. Um, it sort of led us down this path where we started with um, building out a, a smart contract um, that was focused on making it easy for um, users of that smart contract to record credit and debt obligations. And that was called a credit protocol. And the idea was, you know, for developers, you really just have to, you know, execute this issue credit function. We'll take care of the authentication, identity verification, um, the, the double signage, 
Um, just try to make it as, as simple as possible for developers to kind of build out applications that involve um, the establishment of credit and debt obligations. So, but, so like payment layers and things like that, or yeah, a, a simple example that we've got is an application built on the credit protocol Lender, and Lender is kind of like you know Venmo with crypto. Got and it. So you know peer-to-peer -peer payments, being able to create an IOU, um, and then be able to settle up that obligation um, through the application. Yeah. And what we found as we were trying to get, uh, you know, drive adoption of the credit protocol was the fact that it was still very difficult uh, for developers to, to use it. And unless you had a great deal of expertise in the blockchain space and the ability to really understand solidity and, um, and be able to use some of these uh, tools like Web3, uh, it was, you know, not necessarily for the everyday developer. And so that kind of led us down a, a path where we're like, okay, how do we try to make the credit protocol uh, more available and more usable for for developers, and that's where we kind of came up with this uh, the, our second product called Link, and Link's effectively um, uh, a decentralized, a managed, uh, serverless or functions as a service uh, platform. And the idea is that you would effectively take your smart contract, take the functions of the smart contracts, and turn those into web API endpoints. And so for developers interacting with smart contracts. They're no longer working with complex libraries. They're effectively just making API endpoint calls. Interesting. So you're, yeah. you're almost like creating like a Stripe type uh, API, you know, business, but for smart contracts and, you know. Yeah, we're starting with smart contracts, but there's really no reason why, you know, we can expand this out where, you know, you can write a function in any language. And similar to like AWS Lambda in that sense, you're effectively just focused on having APIs for functions that do a certain thing. Yeah. And you can kind of like build all sorts of microservices based off of this. What's really cool with the sort of where we're positioned right now with both our, our feed in the blockchain space and the, the serverless space, you know, you've got this, you know, distributed um, ledger technology where you're able to, to store, um, you know, you've got this data store that provides transparency. It's got a very interesting trust model. And then you've got the, the serverless uh, computing uh, area where you're effectively, um, you know, able to execute third-party code in a reliable and scalable manner. Yeah. And so, you know, people developing and utilizing, um, you know, a tool like Link will effectively be able to leverage infrastructure where they're only paying for, um, you know, the, the actual usage of uh, their, their function calls. They're not wasting um, any of the, the idle or, or downtime. Yeah. yeah. So um, is it... Is it focused on still the credit and debits for the link, or is it just more all, all in any API? It could be for, for for any smart contracts. Got of it. course, we'd like to to leverage that to drive adoption of the credit protocol as well. But there's definitely no limitation to just credit and debt yeah. obligations. Yeah. yeah, totally. So you know, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And and how did you you know how did you get to Vancouver? Are you from Vancouver? Um, how did you kind of get into the technology space overall? Yeah. Uh, what, what's your backstory? Yeah, so originally from uh, from Vancouver, um, born and born and raised out here in Metro Vancouver. I went to school at uh, at UBC and did a program out there called Engineering Physics. Um, I had a, a quite a bit of passion for the aerospace space or aerospace uh, industry, yeah. and kind of like led me down a path where um, I actually went to uh, an aerospace school, did my masters overseas in, in Europe, nice. um, working predominantly on. Um, you know, using radar imagery to have identify. Been, have you been in space? No, not yet. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm still building up my 250,000 to take a ride on uh, Virgin Galactic. Are but, you, uh, you going to be one of the people that colonizes Mars? 
Uh, well, I'm not sure myself if I'd, I'd take the risk of, of, of that journey, but uh, it would definitely be an exciting proposition for anyone who'd be first to, to do that. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I admire anybody that would want to be the ones to colonize Mars. I have zero desire to yeah. go to Mars personally. Yeah, it, um, it's definitely like I think as Elon Musk says, you know, you kind of have to look at it from the case that it would be a one-way trip for at least the first set of explorers out that way. Totally. And yeah. have you seen Total Recall? Do you remember what happens in Total Recall? <laughs> you can't go. You can't go outside. No. Um, no. And then I don't know. I just wouldn't want to live in in a mall for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's what's gonna happen, right? Yeah. But anybody that wants to go to Mars, I don't mean to discourage you. Um, <laughs> neither do I. It, it, it's super exciting, and and it was sort of that spirit of like being an adventurer and, and being able to, to travel on the cosmos was, was sort of why I, I even got into that space. Yeah. Uh, but being back here in Vancouver, um, after I, I had done my, my master's overseas, I, I ended up in the, the clean tech space. Okay. And uh, there's a startup here where um, you may be familiar with, uh, with smart meters, mm -hmm. where instead of this guy running door to door, collecting your meter reading every month from your local utility, you now have, you know, 15 minute data um, for your building's energy consumption being automatically transmitted and, and collected by the utility who restoring all this data, but not necessarily doing anything with this. Yeah. And so the, the company I was with, Pulse Energy, we ended up um, building out um, a platform where we would incorporate this data and run a bunch of analytics, create reports, um, be able to present a bunch of insights about how different small and medium businesses were consuming energy and how they compared to their nearest neighbor. Yeah, that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds like a really interesting use case for blockchain. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in sure fact, uh, it yeah. was um, one of the, the the things that interested me about um, about blockchain was there was a, a couple of companies, this was probably about three, four years ago, and one of the, the trials that we're, that we're doing was effectively, you know, taking the energy markets um, and, you know, outside of, outside of British Columbia here where, um, you know, electricity is more of a, a retailed commodity. Um, you know, you'd be able to leverage the, the blockchain to, to store all this really interesting information. Uh, but not only store that information, but also use it for, you know, micropayments if you have... Um, you know, if you're an um, independent power producer and you're effectively selling power back to the grid, totally. or even if you set up your solar panels outside your house and, you know, you've got extra capacity and you want to be able to, to sell this back, having a mechanism that allows you to be able to do this in sort of a secure, reliable way and execute microtransactions. I mean, blockchain is a perfect example of being able to, to do that. Yeah, totally. And it just seems like there's very interesting incentive models that could be built into there, right? Just mm -hmm. like how, how you consume energy and, and um, what what information you decide to share with like that smart reading tech. Yep. Actually, uh, I remember getting a mess or an email or something, email or a letter from C Seattle City Light or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, where I live and um, asking if I wanted to be on a meter program. I don't know if it was them. And I'm like, no, you can drive out to my <laughs> <Yes>. house. <laughs> yeah. I just don't like the idea of having like an external Wi-Fi to yeah. you know, my app, even though you know, there's probably other ways to, to monitor anything I'm doing, of course, but. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine for residential, there is like if somebody were to hack that data, I mean, they they know, for example, if you're if you're home or not. So yeah. there, there is some personal data there that that can be obtained. But uh, you know, our focus was more on the small and medium business sector, and not for the hacking, it was, uh, not, yeah, exactly. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't so much of a concern. They really wanted to see, oh, you know, how can we rank in like the bottom ten percent compared with you know um, sort of other peers, and then what can we do? And you know, the utility would be like, look, here's some programs or rebates that we're offering right now that you can take advantage of. Um, and it was a, a pretty compelling value prop for them.
Yeah, very cool. So, um, you know, you, you start in this, this energy right after your master's. Um, what did you start doing after that? Yeah. So, I mean, I had been with the, with the startup and after it got acquired collectively for about eight years. So that was a good chunk oh, wow. of basically out of, out of school and, and sort of my, um, my first foray into the, the work, uh, uh, workspace and environment. And yeah, that was, uh, quite an interesting ride. So it was really after, um, the acquisition when things sort of settled down that, um, this opportunity with block Mason came around and, and I ended up taking it. Very cool. Very cool. So we talked a little bit about this. We're we're heading in this bull run now. Bitcoin's uh, just crossed eight thousand. Yep. Um, is I don't like to speculate, but <laughs> what's what's going to happen? You think for fun? I mean, it's it's great. So one of the other um, roles I play here at Block Mason is we've got a, a mining farm out uh, in the the suburb of Vancouver here, oh, and cool. so managing that has been been quite the the, the exercise. Uh, but obviously now with uh, the price point being where it is, it, uh, it's definitely more and more lucrative to, to be running this and trying to, you know, squeeze out every amp, every sort of efficiency that we can from from the farm. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's been it's been exciting. I um, how does the mining farm um, work into your business overall is with Block Mason or is it just more like for fun? Yeah, with, it's more of a I guess a, learning, I should say. Right? Yeah, it's more of a sort of a, a side venture yeah. for, for, for Block Mason. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, basically diversifying the, the different spaces and, and fields that the company was was getting involved in in the blockchain space. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what do your folks think about blockchain and, and, and <laughs> Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? I, I still have not uh, been able to explain to my dad what this is and why it's here to stay and, um, you know, what the, the benefits are. I mean, he's obviously from the, the general mainstream media hearing sort of very, you know, one-sided information. The, the price of Bitcoins hit a certain threshold or, you know, so-and-so got scammed because this exchange collapsed or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, he's looking at this with a, a healthy dose of uh, skepticism. Um, but at the same time, every time I try to, to highlight an application of a blockchain that's got some merit, you know, you'll kind of think about it and be like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. I can, I can sort of see the value there. Totally. Um, so it, I think, you know, the general, I, I get a sense in, in general, people really just hear a lot about the, the numbers, about the price of Bitcoin and where it's headed and, you know, people making a lot of money and then people losing a lot of money. And I think really where the conversation, you know, is, is, is it needs to go is to, to really dial in into the, the benefits of the underlying tech like blockchain and, and the types of applications that you're able to, to develop from it. Totally. They just like the overall tech opportunities and don't get me wrong, like Bitcoin going up is obviously really great for uh, mainstream adoption overall. And it helps. Um, I think it's kind of funny when, when you see everybody just like massively tweeting about it. Yep. Like you don't see people like tweet about their Amazon stock, right? Like Amazon <laughs> stocks at 1800 or yeah. whatever it's at. Yeah. Uh, I think it's great. I'm super excited that Bitcoin's going up. I want it to obviously keep going up because that helps everything yep. overall. But um, I do think that is funny. Uh, so when you, when you, um, Let's keep going on this parent tangent because I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, what do you what do you think it takes to get your dad or your folks to start using blockchain tech? That's that's kind of a big thing for me. Is not necessarily like parents, of course, but I think about mass adoption, right? Yeah. I think about like, hey, like how do we get mass user adoption? How do we get people stop thinking outside of the currency side of things? And as important as I think the currency is, and necessary as the currency is. Um, even altcoins, I think, are interesting and important 
when they're not obviously shit coins and they have some sort there's an in-network value. Yep. So what do you think it takes to get a uh, broader uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency uh, just adoption? Yeah, um, I guess a, a few thoughts on, on that front there. One, um, at least from um, the development of application side that, that BlockMason is, is, is focused on, really just being able to empower users where you know, you, you try to abstract away all that complexity um, with you utilizing blockchain. Like, like think of the, the workflow right now for um, a developer, an end user trying to use a blockchain web application. Even before you start, you need to go to a third-party exchange and acquire Ether, for example, send that um, to a Metamax or equivalent type of browser wallet, um, and then be able to interact a little bit with the application. And then for every sort of um, event or activity that you want to do with that uh, that website, you have to approve a transaction. I mean, yeah. there's so many friction points um, if you think about that. And from the perspective of the end user to have to go through all those hoops before they can even interact with um, an application is just, it's just, you know, there's just so much friction. You, you can't expect them to, to you know, only the the early adopters would kind of go through that pain points to be able to, to interact. So I think um, being able to build out applications where um, it's as you know as seamless as possible um, for for folks, everyday folks, to be able to interact with uh, with these applications is the the way we need to go. And then sort of like building on that, I mean, uh, the nice example is that you know take a look at like high school students now being able to to build you know voice based applications uh, for Alexa and not even really needing to know what the underlying infrastructure or the underlying tech is. Um, not even needing to know, you know, what EC2 is. Um, and I think that's where we kind of need to get with, uh, with blockchain, where you don't even really know what the underlying tech is. You're interacting with the application, getting value from it, and not even having to really worry about what the underlying infrastructure is or the complexities. Um, you know, so to, just to go on along with mass adoption, question I love to ask people is, um, you know, if you, if you think about the apps that are in your phone right now, uh, what do you think is a good example of a current app that you use daily uh, that would be a good use case for blockchain or start accepting crypto or anywhere in that gamut? Yeah, um, I mean, there's uh, there's probably, a, I mean, there's definitely a few examples that come to mind immediately. Um, you know, we, you know, Ticketmaster obviously being one where if uh, there was a sort of a streamlined way to be able to, to pay directly with a, a person or an organization for, for a ticket, um, you know, that would be uh, extremely beneficial, but of course, get rid of some of those scalpers and so get, forth, get rid of the, the middlemen. But of course, you know, you also have to look at like how those ecosystems are structured and Ticketmaster having you know, exclusive rights with, uh, with some of these, these stadiums and arenas and whatnot. So, um, I think there is sort of this altruistic, um, uh, sense that, you know, you could democratize a lot of these, these, uh, these industries and these spaces. Um, I'd imagine that actually executing it would be a, a, a bit of a challenge. I think any sort of like payments, remittances, um, those are really good um, examples of being able to take advantage of the power of uh, crypto in these, uh, these networks um, to be able to cut out middlemen and be able to, um, uh, to exchange directly with a, with a peer. You know, one of the, the reasons that I got into this space was learning about a company like Abra, where, um, you know, remittances back to the, the Philippines was costing an overall transaction fee of less than 2%. Whereas if you go through Western Union and you look at that workflow and that process, anything from seven to 10 days, plus you're paying almost 10% um, to just make, a, make an exchange. And, and those are definitely um, 
networks that I'd like to see sort of broken down uh, with the the advent and adoption of blockchain. Totally, I definitely agree. I, I think I think payments payments for me is the use case, and I guess when I think about payments, I I think about it in the sense of how we all transact every day, right? Mm-hmm. Like today, I probably completed I don't know five or six different transactions at and doing diff- cross border too. Exactly, yeah. you know, different, diff- you know, from it, yeah, that's exactly it, right? Mm-hmm. So that that to me is definitely the use case. Um, so you, you Vancouver's your home. Mm-hmm. We're, we're growing our our TF blockchain community there. Uh, what are some of the cool things that are happening in Vancouver when it comes to blockchain and crypto? Yeah, I would say Vancouver is definitely a, an emerging space. I mean, uh, I had an opportunity to, to go to Toronto a couple of weeks ago, and that's obviously a much more established community. I think Seattle's also got uh, maybe a bit more of an established community with the, the tech scene there. Um, you know, Vancouver, I think, is 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 got uh, a couple of really cool applications around, you know, real estate being one is that's sort of top of mind for a lot of individuals here. And how can you sort of, uh, you know, cut out the, the, the laundering and, and some of these other impacts that are having an effect across the entire uh, Metro Vancouver community. Um, so I do think that there is elements of blockchain that are very particular and, um, uh, you know, very pertinent for, for our city uh, to look at look at adopting. Um, and, you know, Vancouver is known for being fairly liberal, um, being uh, sort of, uh, um, you know, at the, the, the leading edge of, of tech. And, uh, yeah, I think blockchain is poised to, to do pretty well um, and as an industry as, as it grows and matures here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we look forward to continuing seeing you grow, Block Mason grow here in Vancouver. Uh, we're definitely going to be growing TF Blockchain here in Vancouver. So. Awesome. Uh, Harish, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today at our event. Thank you for taking the time uh, to do this podcast with us. And any last words you want to give to our community? Uh, no, I just want to say uh, my pleasure, Jonathan. Uh, definitely fantastic meeting you and the, the TF Blockchain uh, team and, uh, you know, continue to, to work with you guys. And as you build up your ecosystem across the, the, the continent, it's pretty exciting to see. I'm glad to be part of it. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. We appreciate your support as we continue our mission to connect the broader business and technology community with blockchain innovators. For the most up-to-date information on all things TF Blockchain, please visit tfblock.io. Please like and subscribe to our podcast to be the first to hear from our amazing speakers changing the world through blockchain and crypto. If you're interested in partnering with the TF Blockchain Podcast, please email us at podcast at tfblock.io. Be on the lookout for TF Blockchain chapters coming to your city, and please reach out to us if interested in becoming a chapter director. We hope to see you soon at one of our live events. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay crypto, my friends. The views and opinions expressed at TF Blockchain events and podcasts are solely those of the ones presenting and do not necessarily reflect the position or opinion of TF Blockchain. TF Blockchain is not responsible for the opinions or content of its guests and does not endorse any particular company or currency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to make investment decisions.